the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head into Hour 3. It is a delight to bring back to the show Andy McCarthy. Andrew C. McCarthy is a senior fellow at the National Review Institute. He's a contributing editor at National Review, author of several books, including Ball of Confusion, The Plot to Rig an Election and Destroy a Presidency, former federal prosecutor, and maybe one of my longest, I don't know how to do this, longest time friends in public policy. Andy, welcome back to the Airwaves of Phoenix. Beth, my friend, great to be with you. Thank you. All right. So um, we were told that the raid at Mar-a-Lago was unprecedented, and it is. And a synonym for perhaps unprecedented is um, unique, uh, perhaps uh, even at some levels uh, confusing or head-scratching. So I break the glass, I'm pulling the lever, and I'm calling you in an emergency to help us understand a few things. Is that okay, Andy? Of course, yes. <laughs> um, first of all, um, how unprecedented is this uh, procedure that we're going through, this process that we're going through? And what do you think the potential end games are for both sides? Well, a search warrant on a former president is unprecedented. Historically, we don't have any um, model for this. Um Criminal investigations on a former president are not unprecedented, but there's never been one quite like this one. Mm -hmm. And we have had situations, Seth, where I think, and this is where I would would take this if you were asking me where we're headed. Yeah. Um, I think there have been situations where the government uses its law enforcement power to uh, to, to uh, accomplish other objectives without necessarily the um, intention of following through with a prosecution, which it's allowed to do as long as it has the basis to do the evidence collection procedure. And just to be more concrete about it, if you have a lawful basis to do a search warrant, there's no requirement that you commit to prosecute if you find incriminating evidence and find what you're looking for. All you need for a search warrant is probable cause that a crime has been committed and evidence of the crime is likely to be found in the place you want to search. Um, I think that the way they're acting here, Seth, I really think they don't have an intention to prosecute the former president for classified information or record retention uh, because they're doing things that you would not do if you intended to prosecute. So I I, kind of think that really they wanted their stuff back more than anything else. Now, let's let's talk about the warrant itself and 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 walk through what some of what you said including in, including not prosecuting what they say they what what they say they were looking for in the, in the in the potential criminal activity. First of all, basic basic stuff uh for me in the audience. Uh, a magistrate judge signs off on a search warrant. Is 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 that kosher in and of itself? A magistrate yes. judge doing that? Yeah, so magistrate judges, there was, I'm glad you asked because there's a lot of confusion about this. They're not presidential appointees. Right. They're not, as we say, Article Three judges. Right. You know, they're not uh, district court or appellate court or Supreme Court justices. Um, 
They are appointees of the court. They work for, they're, they're picked by the judges. They work for the judges. They're allowed to, their main job is actually to, you know, these judges all have um, enormous civil dockets. Yeah. And they, their main job is to, like, referee discovery disputes and yep. civil litigation, which, yep. which is an enormous job. But one of the things they're allowed to do is, uh, is sign search warrants. Okay. So I have, I have seen backs and forth on that. And, 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 and you know, I, my criminal law background is nearly non-existent uh, compared to what I used to do in civil law. The Presidential Records Act, speaking of criminal law, is there a criminal penalty available here? No, it's not criminal law at all. But, you know, it's interesting what they've done here, Seth. So the Presidential Records Act covers all of the president's um, materials, which really aren't the president's. They used to be up until the Carter administration. Right. But when the Congress enacted the Presidential Records Act, they changed the assumption. So presidential records are the property of the United States, meaning the government. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are not the property of... The president, which is a very important uh, distinction here, but as you point out, the when Congress enacted this, they didn't put any criminal law teeth in it. The idea was that this is going to be worked out to the extent there were disputes between the president and the National Archives. And what they've done here is they have a criminal statute, uh, Section 2071, which was enacted after the Presidential Records Act. That makes it a crime to remove or conceal or, like, convert to your own use uh, president, not presidential, but all government, any government records. Okay. And what they've tried to do is stitch that statute to the Presidential Records Act so that it now has the criminal enforcement that Congress obviously didn't intend for it to have uh, when they passed it. And you can't say, Seth, by the way, that, you know— Congress wasn't thinking about this yeah. because this was this was a Watergate statute. Right. So, you know, obviously there was criminal liability that was a, a you know, potential. And Congress elected when they passed this legislation not to put criminal law provisions in it. Uh, you, this did you I, not that I need to reference it, but just to be clear that we're talking about the same thing. This statute, what did you call it? Twenty seventy one. That's in that's a penal statute. Okay. Yeah, that's in the U.S. penal code. It's separate and different from the Presidential Records Act. But the two-part step that they do here is, number one, the Presidential Records Act means that all of the documents that Trump has are ours, meaning the government. Okay. And number two, if you take any government record and remove it from where it's supposed to be or conceal it, uh, that's a crime under Title 18, which is the penal code. Right. That's Section 2071. So that's the two steps. And is that the here. main criminal uh, statute for the basis of the search warrant? Would you gather? Or yeah. Well, I think th- I don't think if if it was just presidential records, I doubt they would have done this. I think that the classified information is what they're mainly concerned about, and that's really the uh, Espionage Act. Right, the uh, the our, our old friend, the Espionage Act. Yeah, not good. Yes. Yeah, remember <laughs> we spent a lot of didn't time on that in '05. Didn't, didn't you and I jointly we, write we did. something on the Espionage yeah, I think, Act? Like a million years yeah, ago? yeah, we really did. I think you and I may have even co-authored a piece that beat up on Mike Pence a little bit, but he was very good about it, if I'm not mistaken, mm. back in the day when he was in the House of Representatives. But so with that criminal statute, the Espionage Act, and this other 2071, does it appear like? I mean, obviously, we're nowhere near completion here, but facially, does it look like perhaps the elements have been met uh, by by Trump? Well, 
I think that it's fair to argue that there's, um, you know, look, <laughs> they had reason to think there was classified information there, and they found it. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, you know, I, did they have probable cause for the warrant? Yes. The reason I don't think they're, that means they're going to prosecute is they're fighting awfully hard to, to, to not turn over the information in the affidavit. Yeah. And in a normal criminal case, you do the searches at the end when you make arrests, yep. and everybody does that with the expectation that the affidavits are going to be turned over to the defense and discovery and eventually become public documents. Right. So it seems to me that it doesn't make sense for them to be fighting this hard to conceal this information if in a couple of weeks they're just going to charge this guy and all of it becomes discoverable anyway. So I, I think... You know, they're taking into account the fact that classified information cases are really hard to do in the best of circumstances. Here you would be dealing with a defendant who is the only official in government who has the ability to declassify things, so it makes it a much more difficult criminal case. And I think they just wanted their stuff back. I mean, if they if they really wanted to prosecute this case, they would have waited to do the warrant because they would know the warrant was going to be, you know, the warrant and the underlying papers are going to be disclosed to the defense and become public. They're acting like they hope this never becomes public. That brings up a two-part question. The first part is a debate, uh, a debate, uh, yeah, a debate from the parties that know a little bit about this and, and a lot of the parties that don't know a lot about that, that he already did declassify those. I guess we'll not know that for certain until this goes further along the way, right? We don't know what was declassified and what wasn't, right? Well, he says he declassified right. everything, but it's an interesting it's an interesting question. Yeah, yeah. Worth talking about. Yeah, let me let me hit the break and come right back and uh and 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 fin- and uh, follow up on a couple of these because that y- you do hear that. You hear, you know, well, it's his right to declassify and some people are playing a little loose with that. Yeah, but not after the fact, but then he's also saying he may have declassified him or that he did declassify him before and how important that would be to all of this. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Andrew C. McCarthy. Andy McCarthy, author of Ball of Collusion, The Plot to Rig an Election and Destroy a Presidency. We'll be right back. Oh, that's that's a funny intro music <laughs> for those on podcast for coming <laughs> yeah. in with lawyers, guns and money. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe I have all three with Andrew McCarthy here. Andrew C. McCarthy from National <laughs> Review. I know he's a lawyer. I know he's a gun owner. And I think he has a little bit of money. Anyway, Andy, um, the declassification issue that we went to the break on, uh, this would be determinative ultimately, wouldn't it? I mean, if he did legitimately declassify all of these things. We're pretty much done, right? But that'll be a question of fact, I suppose. Well, we'd be done on classified information, but you wouldn't be done on government records. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Know, so there's there's that. Uh, then you would run into the other series of arguments about whether Congress intended that, you know, to be a, a criminally enforced. But just sticking for a second with classified yeah. information, um, a couple of things. They're conflating... Two separate things in some of these arguments, which is um, whether uh, the information is whether it's been declassified and whether it's his. Right. Now, whether, regardless of whether whether he declassified it or not, if it's government records, it's the property of the United States. It's not the property of Trump. Right. So right. Like that, at the beginning, when he said, "Like 
I think these are privileged, and I would like them returned. They're not going to be returned. The right. government stuff is staying with the government. So what we're talking about here is can you prosecute him? Now, if he declassified, he'd have to have done that while he was still president. Correct. That's when he had yeah. the power to do it. Right. Uh, I think there's law out there, in, in, including the Presidential Records Act, which says that the president has an obligation with official act presidency to document them and make sure the the documents are preserved. Now, I think Trump would come back and say, Congress can say that if they want, but this is my Article Two plenary right. authority. Right. The courts have never the courts have never had to decide that issue. I wouldn't be very confident if I were uh, former President Trump that he would win that. Uh, even in the Supreme Court, does he have um, the right I, I, to claim any uh, any of these records as personal? Uh, is is there a, is there an argument that he has to make to someone to claim any, or is it none none of it is personal by dint of it being government? Per, uh, presidential records and personal records are defined in the Presidential Records okay. Act. Now, there's elasticity in the definitions, but I think he'd have a hard time coming in and saying like, if there was a classified document about say. The Taliban was about to do the following X, Y, and Z thing. I think he'd have a hard time saying that that was a personal, uh, like journal or something like that. Okay. And and what is your sense of um, of us learning everything that was in that affidavit? Will that black ink ever be removed? I mean, will that be at I, some point revealed? I, I don't. I, I think there's a good chance that it won't. I mean, there'll be if there's no prosecution, there'll be Freedom of Information Act claims. But, you know, I think what's going on here, Seth, is the same thing that makes classified information cases very difficult mm-hmm. in any event, mm-hmm. which is that the information is so serious. Like, I hear Trump out there saying, you know, see, they said there's stuff out there about the nuclear codes, but there's nothing in there about the nuclear codes. Well, no, the nuclear codes are secret. Right. So we would, they wouldn't write nuclear codes in there. What they would say I is, see. you know... Top secret, uh, sensitive, compartmentalized uh-huh. information. You know, they wouldn't be uh-huh. caught. But if you prosecute somebody in court, that gets very dicey because you have to put in some of this information sure. as evidence. Sure. And part of the reason that we don't do these prosecutions very often is there's more public interest in keeping that information safe and secure than there is in, in uh, prosecuting the person. We're talking to Andrew C. McCarthy, former federal prosecutor and a senior fellow at National Review Institute, contributing editor at National Review. Andy, I don't remember if it was you. I, th- I think I saw you on TV with – I don't remember what show it was. I think you were on with John Yu, and I don't remember whether you or John made yeah. the point. With, yeah, it may have been Cavuto or something like that. Yeah. One of you made the point that now that they have the records, maybe just drop everything. Is that in the cards? Yeah. Is that a smart move? Is that – not a smart move. That's that's my view of it. I I think that um, what they were really trying to accomplish here, Seth, is a couple of things that are very important. One is to get the information back, and then secondly, we should say why it was important to get the information back. It's true that government does overclassify things. Yeah, sure. But at the same time, the stuff that's of the highest level of classification, and there's reason to believe there was at least some of that here. Um, whenever there's a possibility that top-secret information fell into the wrong hands, that it, was, that it was seen by people who shouldn't have seen it, that, like, maybe somebody who works for the Russians has infiltrated Mar-a-Lago and had access and took pictures of stuff and all that stuff. The intelligence community has to assume that, you know, covers may have been blown. Sure. 
And then you have to worry, do we have to pull informants out? Are people's lives in danger? Is there some sensitive intelligence-gathering method that we have that's been blown, and was it blown three months ago such that, like, the Chinese have been feeding us misinformation or disinformation for, you know, this period of time? So until they have the documents back and can account for everything that might have been seen by somebody who wasn't authorized to see it, they can't really do a, a, a full security assessment to see what how we may have been compromised and being able to do that the fbi and the intelligence community is much more important than whether they can prosecute trump or not i gotcha because that 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 really is the ultimate issue last question you've been great andy thank you for taking such specific questions one last one was there another way to do this that didn't have to involve uh, all these alarms and excursions could this have yeah, done I think, you know that's yeah. That's that's the hard question, Seth. I, you know, because I was one of the ones at the beginning who said that this seems really over the top yeah. to me. I mean, I, I obviously didn't know all the facts, so you have to like sort of hold your fire. But I think that we now know enough that you know they they escalated this with with Trump. They they gave him uh, grand jury subpoenas twice. Uh, they had the FBI down there beating the bushes. They asked them for the surveillance camera video and looked at that stuff and those of us who think this was over the top here's the question that you have to answer and i don't have a good answer for this right now which is if you say that this was over the top what what what's your alternative proposal for how the government would have gotten this information back and been confident that they got it all back other than going in and taking it you couldn't do this like through a civil warrant or something like that you don't think well but how would you know that he complied? Yeah, I gotcha. Okay, okay, okay. You know, I mean, they tried a grand jury subpoena. Yeah. Well, if if he wouldn't give stuff on a grand jury subpoena, and he had his lawyers write a document for the for the Justice Department that said we've done a search and this is all there is, and then they realized that you know obviously it's not all there is. We don't know how they figured that out, by the way. But yeah. uh, they obviously did figure it out. You have to sit there at a, a certain point and say, you know, look, we've given them grand jury subpoenas more than once. We've told them a number of times this is really important. We went down there uh, to talk to them. We talked to the lawyers who told us they searched the place and we got everything. And now we still know we didn't get everything. How are we ever going to yeah. know we have everything unless we go in and take it? Man. And I don't like that, Seth, but I have to. I, I, So far, I'm not coming up with a better plan. I got gotcha. you. I got you. Gosh, it's so interesting. We all have to learn law over these. Ever since Bill Clinton, we've all had to become legal experts. (laughs) Andrew C. McCarthy, there's no better teacher, no better friend either. Thank you for everything you do and everything you are, sir. I appreciate you so much. Thanks, bro. You betcha. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. If you're looking for a remarkable investment opportunity with a great return for investors, check out my friends at Y Refi. Y Refi is a due diligence approved firm run by really good people who are offering up a fixed no load interest rate up to ten and a quarter percent return for investors, all in a secure and collateralized portfolio. 
Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com, investyrefi.com. Their phone number is 855-316-3087, 855-316-3087. They're a local company, so you can visit with them. They won't give you a, they won't give you a sales pitch. They'll just tell you what they're up to and let that speak for itself. Um Folks, I, um, I'm, I'm thinking about what Andy said and the processes that have been used against Donald Trump. Unprecedented in the raid. It's interesting how many times unprecedented is going to appear when the history books are written about Donald Trump, if the history books are written with a degree of accuracy or at least outside of a, a partisan squint or lens. Good luck with that. But there will be history books written that are, you know, at least some, at least supportive. I don't know if they'll ever make it into the schools, but they'll be out there. And, you know, what has been used to justify all the unprecedented actions against Donald Trump is, um, for lack of a, well, there are a lot of better words, but it's effect, effectively it boils down to temper tantrum name calling, uh, shibboleths, and uh, and and epithets. He's a racist. He's a white supremacist. He has no right being near the Oval Office. On and on and on, and it started before he was president. This campaign against him started before he was president. Of course, took place during the campaign. It took place on his inauguration day. There were riots on his inauguration day. I know people don't seem uh, seem particularly interested in what, what, what Democrats now speak of as violating the peaceful transfer of power, but there were. They were in Washington, D.C. There were a passel of Democrats who refused to show up at his inauguration, and then we went on a four-year campaign of Democrats with names everyone knows, big names in the Democratic constellation from Hillary Clinton to Nancy Pelosi to Jimmy Carter to people with lesser offices and lesser names calling him illegitimate, an illegitimate president. All of that pretty darned unprecedented. The only precedent that comes close in my mind is some of the campaign against George W. Bush. And I was talking to a friend of mine in California uh, over the weekend who was at a party? These, gosh, maybe maybe the answer is just don't go to parties where you don't know everyone before you go there. And he was, you know, getting into an argument, or he was found himself in an argument. That's a better way to put it. Found himself in an argument uh, where, you know, he's not a particularly. He voted for Trump, but he's not a huge Trump fan. He voted for Trump because he's a Republican, and he and um, you know he he. he he could live with Donald Trump and certainly can't live with what the Democrats do. So so he found himself in a position of defending Donald Trump a little bit. And we were talking about what is it you say to people who keep talking about, you know, how he tried to disrupt and stop the peaceful transfer of power. I said, this one is pretty easy to me. This this one is not that hard. Uh, I, I have no interest in hearing Democrats talk about something, A, that never happened, and B, couldn't possibly have happened, and C, that they did the same or worse of. Now, I have to hit a commercial break here. I'll unfold it in just a few moments uh, on the other side of this break as I discussed it with my friend. But one of the things to keep in mind as 
when the Democrats talk about Donald Trump breaking all the norms, which is another way of saying unprecedented, but I think it probably sounds a little worse. He broke all the norms. What? Name me one. Name me one norm he broke. Let me talk to you about the ones the Democrats broke when we come right back. And we will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Balance of Nature. Good people, Balance of Nature. They are really good people, and um, they make a great product. I take it every single day without fail. I've missed it a few times, and I've noticed it. I, I notice if I'm a little sluggish. Oh, I forgot to take my Balance of Nature. Pure, potent plant power, a blend of 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables in one easy-to-take daily dose. They're just vegetarian capsules, 100% natural, nothing added, no sugars, nothing, just vegetables and fruit, the good stuff. And it won't take you weeks to know if it's working. I don't know if it'll take you even a week to know if it's working. You're putting that good, strong, potent stuff in, you're going to notice. You're going to notice a big difference, and you'll notice it right away. If you want to access the fruits and veggies that Balance of Nature offers, check them out at balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE, balanceofnature.com, discount code BALANCE. The reason I don't want to hear from Democrats about Trump and Republicans uniquely and unprecedentedly breaking norms and stopping and efforts to stop the transfer of power, the peaceful, the historic peaceful transfer of power, it's all nonsense. None, none of it, none of it is true. First of all, when they're talking about January 6th, there's a couple things to keep in mind. First and foremost, and this is not a small point because it goes directly to their charge. Every time Biden speaks about it, he speaks about disrupting the peaceful transfer of power. First of all, January 6th was not a transfer of power day. I'm not excusing it. I'm just telling you it was not a transfer of power day. Transfer of power takes place. On Inauguration Day, that would have been in 2021, that would have been January 20th. That's when the power of the presidency transfers. January 6th was an electoral count day. It was an electoral count day. And if Democrats want to pretend that disputing the count of the Electoral College in the House of Representatives was done for the first time on January 6th, 2021, then they're going to have to erase a lot of their own celebrations. I've mentioned this before. It's worth remembering. Michael Moore made a documentary, really a mockumentary, called Fahrenheit 911, Fahrenheit 9-11. And it was uh, debuted in Washington, D.C. I remember it well. Nancy Pelosi and all of the all of the leaders of the Democratic caucus, Tom Daschle at the time, they all went to the premiere. And when you watch Fahrenheit 9-11, you will see it opens with Democrat after Democrat after Democrat in the House of Representatives challenging the 2000 vote for George W. Bush, challenging the Electoral College vote. For George W. Bush, they were celebrating that they were challenging it. They were strutting about challenging the electoral votes for George W. Bush. That was the Democrats. It was to them cause for celebration and parade. All of a sudden, 
Now, with it, when it came to Donald Trump, it seems to be about disrupting the peaceful transfer of power. 2004, you can see the video on your favorite video uh, server, uh, video program online. You can see the video. Barbara Boxer, one of the deans of liberalism in the Senate, Barbara Boxer stands up to challenge the one state that had the pivotal uh, the pivotal the pivotal voice in the 2004 election, Ohio. She, a California senator, stood up to challenge the electoral vote on Ohio that went to George W. Bush. So the notion that this has never been done is not only not true, it was a cause celeb for the Democrats when they did it. Second or third or fourth, the violence, the violence. I'll say it again. I think this is not a small point. There is not a single Republican with a name that is known that didn't denounce what took place on January 6th or the day after if, if, if the news was slow in quoting them or they were slow in getting the press release out. Not a, not, not a Republican of any name recognition whatsoever didn't denounce it. At the same time, what took place on January 6th by the people engaged in the riot, no one had ever heard of. Not a single Republican of any recognition whatsoever was involved in it. I don't even know if they registered with the Republican Party. They weren't fundraisers in the Republican Party. They weren't activists of any repute in the Republican Party. They weren't elected members of any office whatsoever in the United States on behalf of the Republican Party. The whole thing had nothing to do with officials in the Republican Party, be they spokesmen, be they activists, be they nonprofit, you name it. Bunch of people who no one had heard of. And still today, the names are unfamiliar, even when you read about them from the reports of their prosecution. These are not names that stand out, not at all. At the same time, you had Every Democrat of a name that is recognized from Nancy Pelosi to Kamala Harris all the way down, justifying and encouraging the protests and riots that took place during the summer of 2020. The current vice president, Kamala Harris, even helped raise funds to bail these people out. Riots that took the lives of 30 people, riots that led to 14,000 arrests, riots that led to $2 billion worth in damage. And the Democrats whose names you do recognize were supportive of all that, not just in the elected, um, not just elected officials, but in the media and in the commentariat. The Democrats who had names that were recognized were supporting and justifying and defending the violence of 2020. Republicans of no name recognition or repute whatsoever were involved in January 6th. Republicans of name and repute and recognition denounced it. Still waiting for Democrats to denounce what happened in 2020. They won't and they cannot. Indeed, when asked about one particular riot in Baltimore, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi couldn't even say there are other ways to go about doing this, which would have been de minimis. What she said was, people will do what people will do. She excused it entirely. More on this. And we'll conclude with it when we come back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Final point on this last half hour I've been commenting on with this notion of disrupting the transfer, peaceful transfer of power, uh, which did not take place, by the way, when Joe Biden was inaugurated. On the transfer of power day, it was perhaps one of the calmest days in Washington, D.C., 
There were no riots. There were no protests. Compare and contrast that to Transfer of Power Day when Donald Trump was inaugurated in 2017. You can look this up if you want, but you have to look it up because people are trying to memory hole it. Reuters report at least 217 people were arrested on the inauguration day in Washington, D.C. A burst, quoting, quote, a burst of civil disorder followed a fierce presidential campaign that ended in a stunning victory for Republican Donald Trump over Democrat Hillary Clinton and left the country divided. Many of Trump's supporters traveled to Washington to cheer their new president on inauguration days. Tens of thousands of detractors came to Washington to march against it. In the violence, quoting, in the violence, violence on transfer of power day, in the violence, knots of activists in black clothes and masks threw rocks and bottles at officers wearing riot gear. At one flashpoint, a protester hurled an object through the passenger window of a police van, which sped away in reverse as demonstrators cheered. Police went to the hospital on transfer of power day when it was Donald Trump's turn. Who's responsible for disrupting the peaceful transfer? The Democrats said nothing about that then either. They said nothing about that. They said nothing about actresses talking about blowing up the White House that weekend. They said nothing about other people who wanted to call for the assassination or the hitting of or the uh, physical abuse of Donald Trump. We have nothing to apologize for here, folks. The unprecedented nature of all this is coming from the Democrats. You can call it projection if you want. I call it the resignation of moral authority. They have none. We have nothing to apologize for. They have everything to apologize for. Now, if we can just get the media to see things as they truly are, rather than as they want us to think, we can say we no longer live in George Orwell's 1984. Until then, we pretty much do. Make Orwell fiction again. M-O-F-A. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. I'm Seth Liebson, and class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.